Welcome, welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. I am joined today by the usual suspects. First, in the 757, we have the one, the only, the man on the run. Some say run, Ricky run. Ricky LeBlue, Ricky, how you doing today, brother? I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> like, you, like you mentioned, I have been trying to, you know, be pretty active lately and i've had some moderate success but um the the football workouts that i've been doing with a buddy of mine who's a former high school football player and longtime friend of mine are absolutely kicking my ass well good for you man you know the hardest part about getting active is starting and you started and you've had success and now you're jumping into football workouts, which is something that I would wait about a year to do. So good for you. I can't even imagine doing the stuff I did back in high school football, but one person who did play high school football, but he's past that. He's more of an orange theory guy. Now is Mike McDaniel of in Northern Virginia. Mike, how you doing brother? My wife got me into orange theory. And the one thing I really like about it is the fact that I am forced to do cardio. I hate running Rick. So, so I, do I. You. I mean, I'm a, I'm a heavier set guy, obviously. And, um, I, i tell people that I'm running and they're like, dude, you got to get a pair of running shoes. And I'm like, what, my Nikes aren't going to work. And they're like, no, 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 not, not even close. So, running shoes. So what apparently are, they like, I've are you wearing, were you wearing basketball shoes or like all purpose shoes? What no, they're, they're, they're just like a Nike, like a basic Nike sneaker. Um, they're not like the. I don't know. It's I don't know. I don't even know what kind they are, but they're just they basically look like running shoes. But everyone that I've talked to that runs says that Nike has basically no comfort and no support for your foot in the actual shoe. So you need to actually invest in companies that build shoes specifically for running. Air Asics, baby. And yeah, and and as a as a bigger guy, I probably need to go ahead and invest in that because my my shins <clears throat> are killing me after every single run. And so yeah. you haven't, so you haven't bought the running shoe yet. Not yet, but I have been told to go to a specific store here in Virginia beach that actually does like an analysis of your foot and your body. And they uh, recommend a pair of shoes based on that. And then if you don't like the shoes or they don't work for you, you just come in and, and they give you a different pair and it's totally free to get, get the pair switched out. No, not a bad nice. gig. Not a bad gig at all. But it is a little pricey up front. Um, but given the fact that I need to commit to this long term, which I guess it's been like two months now. It's uh, good. I I need to go ahead and invest in it and keep it up. I, I I've always found there's nothing better in getting yourself to commit to something than spending a lot of money on it to the point where you feel really bad about yourself if you can't do it. Unfortunately for me, I've had my workout routine forever, almost a full year now, just walking a lot, doing a little light jogging. He's listening to my podcast, doing preparation for my radio show, essentially by listening to other radio shows. And at the same time, my my Fitbit and my AirPods have both bugged out and aren't working anymore. I've just lost all motivation. It's like, oh crap, was this the only thing keeping me going? Regardless, we have a podcast to do. Because yeah, people was- didn't come here to learn about my running habits. <laughs> and I don't or the blame fact them. that I do, or the fact that I do Orange Theory with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> or the fact that I am a pawn in Apple's game. But nonetheless, <laughs> <laughs> we have a podcast to do. Football season 
at the time of this recording, nine days away, really closer to eight days away based on how late at night we are doing this. And I know one person that is extremely excited about this is Dr. Jeremy Counts over at Main Street Pharmacy, but he is worth more than just being a rabid football fan or being a 40 under 40 recipient in the New River Valley. He's actually a great pharmacist. And if you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you, look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Andrew, real quick, I'm going to stop you there. Weren't you also a recipient of the 40 under 40? Yes, me and Jeremy sat together at the Yeah, uh, I wasn't going to let you get away without mentioning that there, buddy. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It was, it was a wonderful event. 39 uh, uh, wonderful people received the award, and, and there was me. <laughs> but, hey, I, I, I want to uh, say that Jeremy might be more than just a rabid football fan and 40 under 40 recipient. And Mike McDaniel is more than just an orange theory enthusiast because he's actually these days a scoop king because earlier this week, still most, still mostly orange theory though. (laughs) There's more orange theory than there is scoop. Give yourself some credit because earlier this week, Mike McDaniel broke the news that Virginia tech recruiting director, Bo Davidson is headed out the door. He's headed to Texas tech going back home to the great state of Texas. Keep in mind, this is Bo Davidson, the guy that, single-handedly to some degree orchestrated the TX2V team movement that lives in the memories of a lot of Virginia Tech fans. So Bo Davidson out the door, a lot of reaction to the news Mike broke. So I'll give Mike the first chance to give his analysis on the situation. Mike, what do you make late August Bo Davidson headed back to Texas to be the recruiting director over at Texas Tech? couple things. Um, number one, I find this to be a, um, a significant loss. Now, a lot of people are going to laugh at that, but when you consider what Bo Davidson has done over the last six or seven months as a director of recruiting for Virginia Tech, um, you see where the 22, the class of 22 is compared to Uh, the last couple of recruiting classes when Bo Davidson was not the director of recruiting. Um, I think this is a fairly significant loss for Virginia Tech. Now, a couple things here. Number one, it is obviously inopportune to lose him a week and a half before football season. The other point here that I think is even more important than that, though, is the fact that Virginia Tech is losing Bo Davidson during a dead period in recruiting, which I believe is is significant and a big reason why the move is kind of coming in this weird period about a week and a half before the season starts. I think that's more significant than the fact that the season is a week and a half away. It's the fact that this is happening during a dead period. Um, yes, the 22 class is not signed yet. Um, certainly, a lot of guys are verbally committed. Most of Virginia Tech's targets at this point are verbally committed. There's a few guys are still after, um, but a majority of the guys that and the big targets that they're after um, have already verbally committed. In my opinion, knowing what a recruiting role typically entails, it is now on the coaching staff to keep these guys committed. It's Bo Davidson's job to help the recruiting staff and the coaching staff 
identify talent, post recruits on visits, and get these guys in the door. It's now the coaching staff's job to close on these guys and make sure they get signed. So I just want to put that out there. Um, in addition to that, as far as this move happening at a weird time, I will say this. Um, Bo Davidson, at least this summer and in the spring, was not actively pursuing other opportunities. Um, this was a situation that arose within the last week and a half or so. Um, this was not a situation where Bo Davidson was actively shopping himself, looking for other jobs. I think that's important because, I, you know, the narrative that I've seen on Twitter, mostly from the anti, the anti-foo crew, as Paul Van Wagner calls them. Um, <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, m mostly from the anti-foo crew is that, you know, Bo Davidson was kind of shopping himself out there, um, which I can't speak for the last couple of years. Um, but what I can speak to is that that wasn't the case this summer. Now, in, in addition to that, this is a situation where Bo Davidson got a pay raise to do the same job and he got an opportunity to go home. He's got two young kids who, um, you know, were born in Texas and the early part of their childhood was spent in Texas and they have a lot of family in Texas. And this move allows Bo Davidson to not only receive a pay raise that he was not going to get at Virginia Tech, number one, but number two, gets him that pay raise and gets him closer to home for his kids. So for him, this was a move that made sense for him and his family. Um, on a broader scale, though, this is a significant loss, in my opinion, for Virginia Tech. No matter what your personal feelings are on Bo Davidson, the the way things have gone the last six or seven months in recruiting, I think Bo Davidson deserves a tip of the cap um, for what he's been able to do. Um, there have been failed efforts. You know, we talked about Texas to BT and the guys that weren't able to get signed. I do believe that Virginia Tech would have been able to sign a few of those kids if they were able to get them on campus. Um, more, I'm talking more like Latrell Neville, um, Landon Watson, those types of guys who didn't see the school before, more than Demetrius Davis, who I'm, you know, looking back on hindsight 2020 was probably never coming to Virginia Tech. Um, but I think being able to get other guys on campus, I think the Virginia Tech staff with the way they've operated um, this summer anyway, I think they would have been able to close some of those deals if it was a normal recruiting cycle last year. So, um, you know, it, it was mixed results with Bo Davidson. Everybody's going to crap on the Texas to BT thing. I get it. It They didn't get those guys signed, you know, um, and that's definitely part of this narrative um, and part of the discussion. I think it's fair to criticize him for that, but I think at the same time, um, considering what we've seen over the last like five or six months in recruiting, I think it's a fairly significant loss. And obviously Virginia Tech's been on this big push to improve recruiting and Bo Davidson as the director of recruiting has been a big part of that. So definitely not an easy position to fill with a week and a half, um, a week and a half left until the season starts, but they're going to have to get somebody else in the door because they need to not only finish out 22, but start moving on the 2023 class here when the recruiting dead period ceases and they're able to, you know, talk to more kids again. So. Yeah. I'm like, I, I look at this bone Davidson breakup, if you will, and I'd compare it to something that maybe a lot of our audience is able to relate to. And that being our audience, 
presumably many of you in your late 20s, maybe early 30s, work in sales. And what do we know about sales? Sales is all about relationships. Can you forge a relationship with your client? Recruiting, very similar to that, your client not only being the recruit itself, but the people around that recruit, members of the community, obviously the head coach, the parents. A lot of sales is trial and error. You're going to swing, you're going to miss. Not every cold call in history has ever led to a sale. In fact, most don't. So you have to know your strengths and weaknesses, and you need to know the strengths and weaknesses of your own organization to be able to direct your efforts in a way that will produce the highest percentage of the best results. And I think we saw a lot of that in Bo Davidson's tenure. And Mike, when you talk about the last six, seven months being a turnaround for Bo Davidson, you can probably point to the fact that he saw what happened in 2020 and 2021 and said, all right, trial and error. I haven't been focusing my efforts in the right places. Let me spend my time, which is limited. There's 24 hours in a day for everyone. And believe it or not, we all need to sleep. And said, all right, let's focus more in-state, this TX to VT thing, while having a pipeline in a football heavy state, you know, a, the best football state in the country, let's be honest, isn't a bad thing, especially when you have the connections that the coaching staff does. Let's focus on the state of Virginia. And he did that, but now he's gone. And I'm sure that those connections that he had in Texas are going to work out better for him at Texas Tech. Surprise. Let's talk about what happens when you lose a salesman within your own organization. The relationships that were made don't necessarily get to be continued. So when you are the CEO, the leader, the hiring manager of an organization, when you're hiring that next salesman, and you hope to not lose whatever momentum was created. You need to find someone who maybe already has the connections, whether it's someone from outside of the organization or whether it was his predecessor's right-hand man, and you know has the ability to build on those relationships and expand those relationships because where Bo Davidson left off isn't going to be enough for Virginia Tech. It was good progress, and it was good progress for a guy in a situation with Virginia Tech recruiting that not a lot of people had much confidence in going into 2022, being the graduating class. But strides were made. I don't want to see that go down the drain. So I will tip my cap to Bo Davidson, not for the overall work that he did in his tenure, but for the way he was able to turn it around on the fly at the end. But my question for Justin Fuente, and of course, Whip Babcock, but I assume Justin Fuente will be more pivotal in making the hiring decision at the lower level of his own staff. Who are you going to hire that doesn't bring Virginia Tech's recruiting process back to square one? That's the big question because we can't go back to square one, we can't go back to being a bottom of the ACC level recruiting program. Ricky, I'm sure you have a lot to say. Give it to us, my friend. There's a lot to um, 
consider when talking about Bo Davidson's departure. Um, I'll start with the timing of it. The timing sucks. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll take Mike's word for it that Bo wasn't really advertising himself out there, but I think it says something that you leave a program in the middle of a, of a, a recruiting cycle when you've had some success and you, your season is, you know, less than 10 days away. Um, I, I found that to be kind of disappointing it. And that's just my personal opinion. Um, second thing um, in, in regards to Davidson's 10 years a whole, uh, it's hard to think of it as anything other than average or not very good. I mean, other than the last six to seven months, Virginia Tech's recruiting efforts have been poor to put it mildly. Um, this this uh, for, foray into Texas has not really like bear any serious fruit. We haven't seen any legitimate talent come out of that that, that effort to, that's made a legitimate impact in this program. And I think that that has to be weighed pretty considerably, um, given that Virginia Tech staff has basically given up recruiting in, in the state of North Carolina. We, we have not seen any sort of effort at all, uh, at least publicly in that state, like we did a, a few years ago. And um, they have basically given up on that and they had focused so much more on Texas and that hasn't turned out to be much of anything so far. Um, so for, for Davidson's tenure, it's an average at best for me, um, probably a little bit below for this class, um, like you mentioned, Mike, it really is on the, the coaches themselves, the assistants and Justin to keep these guys signed. If a recruiting director leaving is the reason that they don't sign, well, that's more of an indictment on the coaching staff than it is Bo Davidson. I agree. And, and Rick, Rick, real quick, like no, no players are are signing with the program because they like the recruiting director. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they could definitely like him, but it's all about the staff in the end. Yeah. Um, Another part of this, too, and this is something that uh, – and, and first, let me, let me re you know, cap all those comments by saying none of my criticisms of Bo are exclusive to Bo in the sense that they also apply to Justin Fuente. Ultimately, Justin Fuente is the, this is the recruiting director of his program because he's the head football coach. And Justin clearly – decided to go in a direction with recruiting and that direction hasn't worked up until recently. And we've got to give it some time before we figure out if this class is going to be any good. Um, so I think the bigger, you know, kind of the, the, the big underlying issue here that I haven't seen mentioned at all is Virginia tech has been wholly un, wholly unable to, retain any of their recruiting staff over the last four to five years there has been constant turnover in that department we saw it with thomas gary who left for georgia tech um we saw it for matt transu who went to georgia southern uh john yezzy i don't remember where yezzy went but yezzy was another private sector private sector yeah so J john yezzy left the industry altogether and he was another longtime face in that department and now you have another recruiting person leaving. Um, what the hell is going on? Why can't Virginia Tech keep any of their recruiting guys? Well, Ricky, Thomas, did, go did, ahead. To jump back to kind of what you're saying, 
at the end of the day, to jump back into my metaphor, if a company is failing, the public and the shareholders don't blame the sales director. They blame the CEO, and Justin Puente is the de facto CEO of the Virginia Tech football program. So, yes, the blame does fall on him, just like the blame would fall on an equivalent person in an equivalent role in any other situation. Yeah, I just I don't I don't understand why this staff has been has been unable to retain any serious talent, any serious coaching talent within their ranks. I mean, like Daryl Tapp was a one-off because he got an NFL gig and you can't really blame Daryl for doing that, but they lose a they lose Thomas Gary to Georgia Tech. Oh, I knew I know Thomas had ties to the South, uh, but Thomas had a deep and abiding love for the university. Um, and he he hitched his wagon to a a flailing program at the time, and and we haven't really seen Georgia Tech been able to to change the the wins on the field in terms of their ability to actually be competitive. Um, Matt Transu takes a, a job at a, a much smaller program, albeit probably in a bigger role. John Yezzy just says, "Forget it, I'm out of this altogether." A year after he went and publicly defended the the program's recruiting efforts on a, on a podcast. And now Bo Davidson's out. So at a certain point, you've got to look at the guy in charge of these people and be like, you know, why aren't, why aren't you able to keep any of these guys? Why is there so much turnover? Are you not hiring the right kinds of people or are you running them off or what's going on? It, 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 it's hard for me to believe that this isn't, that there isn't a trend here. Right. Like, okay, okay, Ricky, I know, let's... I know a correlation doesn't equal causation, but a correlation at least leads you to have to ask questions. All right, Ricky, let me push back a little bit here and play devil's advocate because, you know, I, I was in a meeting this morning with the chamber of commerce and talking to someone who ran one of the more successful hotels in Montgomery County. And they were saying that, you know, I have housekeepers and I offer them $13 an hour. And then another hotel, which might be a less successful hotel, goes out and offers them $13.20 an hour, and I have mass exodus. Everyone leaves. You have to constantly be able to keep up your wages to keep up with your competitors. It doesn't necessarily apply in the case of Yezzy, but it certainly applies in the case of Davidson. And with Gurry, I can imagine it might apply too. Is this a money thing? I mean, it's possible, but if that's the case and you're the head coach, you you should be able to find enough, a, a little bit extra money to keep these guys around. Um, so I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let Justin off the hook for that. I will say, I mean, there's a reason why they were the the athletic department and the football program as a whole has been trying to push more resources and recruiting. That's not just manpower. That's trying to push money. Okay, But Justin, but Justin's in his sixth year. He is. Oh, no, he is. Um, and there's certainly a trend of, you know, people, people leave programs. I mean, it happens. My, my bigger yes, thing, but, but what four major players in the same department over what four seasons? 
Right. But if you look at athletic department revenue, Texas Tech has more of it. And then in addition to that, we're coming out of a pandemic where Virginia Tech just lost a bunch of money in revenue. If Texas Tech can pay more and it's closer to home in this particular okay, case. But didn't, wouldn't, wouldn't, the, wouldn't theoretically Texas Tech ha, have also had the same revenue issues? Well, not necessarily, no. given the politics no. of it and the fact that no. Texas allowed more people in stadiums. Yeah, no, they got more money. I mean, that's the bottom well, I'm, line. I'm He's not saying they more. don't have more money. I'm just saying that schools across the country dealt with financial headwinds last year. Sure, sure, but some felt it more than others, right? And yeah, but but and some had more money to begin. What with. I'm trying to say is, is that there is a trend of Virginia Tech not being able to retain people in the in the recruiting department. Sure. It's not just this past year. It's years. It's years before that. Sure. So sure. what's causing that? I think there. I think there's certainly a. I think there's a trend. My my thing is, I think there's a trend. I just think that this one is pretty simple. Like, he's getting paid more, and he's close to home. And I. I don't think it needs to play into. I don't think every. I don't think every situation, is black and white. Um, we can we can speak about. Yes, he leaving. We can speak about Thomas Gary leaving. Um, this was a little bit different. I mean, I don't want to make too many assumptions, especially when it comes to Yezzy, because he got out of the industry altogether. And I know some details about what he's doing now. I don't know enough to really go out in public and speak about it, but it seems like he has a halfway decent opportunity in the private sector where he might be able to make a good amount of money in the long run. That being said, some things are black and white, and I feel like if Virginia Tech could offer more money, they wouldn't have as much problem retaining people. I mean, <laughs> that's just kind of how every business works, well, right? Well, yeah. Well, the other the other side of this too um, that I think we got to talk about a little bit is, say Virginia Tech had the money, right? Because I don't know, you know, I don't know if Virginia Tech had had the money or not to retain him. Did did they want to pay him? Right. He's so look. He's been in this role as director of recruiting for what seven seven months it was like april may time frame where he took over for yesi um right after football season around around spring ball sometime right so we we just talked about the mixed results with recruiting right we talked about the almost entirely failed texas to vt venture um in the 2021 recruiting class we talked about how you know we characterize this as an average at best um job by Bo Davidson recruiting for Virginia Tech and the last five or six months have been better but I mean did Virginia Tech want to pay him a hundred thousand dollars more to do what has overall been a mediocre job like that's the other side of this too like what if Virginia Tech has the money and just didn't want to pay him well, well we've seen we've seen Justin value stability at in other places in his program before right Right. And, and, and that stability wasn't really producing legitimate results. Right. You know, and Agree. the, the most obvious example is his offensive coordinator. Right. Uh, who's been, yeah. who's basically regressed uh, just about every single season, it feels like. And um, you know, the, the first year where he, where he, you know, caught lightning in a bottle with Gerard Evans, who was just kind of this, you know, not really a transcendent talent, but a really good talent. And he had a lot of talent around him at, at wide receiver. Um, and you remove those weapons away and, and things just kind of fall off the table. But he's valued the stability there. Right. And, and 
we don't know the answer at, as of this recording. Like, we don't know what the answer is going to be to fill that director of recruiting role. I mean, my guess, my guess, and I, I don't know this, so this is like a reporting thing or anything like that. My guess is that Mark Dythorn would be the guy that they would just promote from within and they'd bring somebody else in underneath. Now, do I think that's the best move for Virginia Tech? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think by doing that, you have these 2022 kids with a recognizable face at the head of recruiting for Virginia Tech. I mean, they know who Mark Dythorn is, right? Like, I think in some ways that would help with this class. Is that, does that help Tech moving forward? I don't know. Um, but if, if Virginia Tech did not, like if Bo, if Bo Davidson says, I'm getting $100,000 more from Texas Tech, will you guys match it, right? And Virginia Tech said, in theory, like, no, we don't want to match it. See you later. Do we know that it was a hundred thousand dollar raise? That's the that's the rumor. I, I don't know exactly what he was getting from Texas Tech, but if that's the rate. But my point being, if any amount of money, right? If he's going back to Virginia Tech and saying like, I'm getting this amount of money, um, you know, are you guys going to match it? And Virginia Tech says no. You better have a plan B <laughs> behind him, which, as of this recording, I'm not sure that they do. And by all indications, this well, was that a would just be poor planning and poor right. and poor leadership. And and by all by all by all indications, it's a situation where Bo Davidson went out, got more money, and then dished that it's an opportunity he can't turn down going back home, right? And that, you know, you in some ways you can account for that. In other ways, it's like, all right, I mean, what are what are you going to do? I mean, I mean, look, the nature of the beast in college football in almost any industry is that you're going to have turnover. Not everyone's a company man. Virginia Tech fans and people who have followed the program may have been spoiled by Frank Beamer, Bud Foster, Charlie Wiles, and the like, who are just willing to stand pat and be a part of something they believed in. But that's not the situation anymore. If you're a football program that doesn't have a plan B in case any single member of your staff leaves at any time, you're not doing it right. So hopefully they have a plan at least in the short term. I think that's the, I mean, I think, you know, if I had to guess, I think leader in the clubhouse would be Dithorn getting the job and then seeing what you do from there, reassess it. But I mean, Virginia Tech's going to have to continue to, to evolve as a recruiting department. We, we've talked about this a million times on this podcast. I mean, a big reason why Tech has fallen behind in the ACC is they haven't recruited well. And a big reason why they haven't recruited well is, well, it's a snowball effect, right? They either haven't had enough people on the staff, they haven't had the facilities to kind of match what they believe the program should be, but they've fixed some of those things in the last year and a half, right? I mean, the facilities mm -hmm. upgrades have finally come along. They probably should have come along sooner. Um, and, and again, this is an institutional issue that Virginia Tech has had that, again, we've talked about on this podcast where they just didn't capitalize on the prime Beamer years as well as they could have administratively. They really could have thrown more money at this football program. I feel like donations could have just been a lot better than they were when Virginia Tech was in their heyday, and that really could have gotten the program rolling. You saw how quick Clemson got rolling once they got good. Fans want to donate to a program that's, you know, opportunistic and winning games and, you know, has a has a future, a clear future, not only in the long term, but in the short term. Right now, what's Virginia Tech selling as a program? Um, you know, philosophically, they're trying to sell, okay, short term, we're going to get this thing turned around to be better. And long term, we're going to be better off having all these facilities. But like, you got to have some success too. So ultimately, it comes down to, to wins and losses. And I, I just, 
you know, I, I think they put themselves in a bad spot and they're trying to dig themselves out of a pretty deep hole at this point. The biggest mistake of anyone at the top is to be satisfied at the top. And that's what Virginia tech did. And the results have certainly shown because yes, in 2010, I feel like Virginia Tech would have been an easy program to mobilize donations for, but the effort was either not made or made ineffectively, and here we are. But regardless, do you guys have any last thoughts on this? We need to get into our season preview. <laughs> I and, and I, I want to make it clear, I, I, I'm not in the, the, the crowd that likes to constantly just pile on to Fuente, but when you have this much turnover and um, you have a guy leaving 10 days before the start of the season, I just think people need to ask questions about whether or not this is an organization that people want to be a part of. Um, for some people, it probably is. And for some people, I don't think it is. Mike, any last words here on this topic? I don't think so. It's just not a not a great situation for Virginia Tech. Yeah, in a bad situation, bad. Nothing timing. is ever easy. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. kidding. <laughs> That's the truth. All right, gentlemen. Well, we got a season starts in nine days, eight days from this release, and there's obviously the elephant in the room, which is Justin Wendy's job security. I hear people spouting off a bunch of numbers of how many wins it takes to save that job. And I don't know, some say seven, some say eight, but I want to know where you guys are at sitting here today in late August with how this schedule looks and how it's going to play. And I will preface this. Nobody's perfect. We're obviously not going to be perfect. College football is fun because we have upsets there are some games where Virginia Tech could pull the upset. There are some games where, as we've seen in the past plenty of times, Virginia Tech could very well get upset by a lesser opponent. But looking at the schedule today, and if you want to break it down game by game, we can. Or if you guys want to go individually through the schedule, we can. I don't know what you prefer, but I'm willing to do it either way. I want to hear what your projection for the season is. Let me, let me do that. We, we can do whatever. I don't, that doesn't matter to me, but um, let me say that I think the most, I think the most realistic outcome here is seven and five and four and four in conference play. <laughs> like, I think that's the. Well, way to ruin the, the podcast. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> that's well, the most... I mean, <laughs> like you can, you can basically bank on Virginia tech losing one to two games that they shouldn't lose. Um, they have struggled in all of their big games for the last, what feels like millennium in terms of, you know, when it's, you know, a, a game versus a big time opponent, um, which if you, if you apply those those general principles to Virginia Tech's schedule, you get to seven and five and four and four in the and ACC. Five. And so my 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 official pick that I'm going on the record with on radio shows and, and podcasts and and this one is that I think that Virginia Tech goes eight and four and five and three. And I'm going to be a little bit more on the optimistic side, but I would oh. like to say that I think seven and five and four and four is the most realistic outcome. So that's that's so you're say. so you're hedging your bets is what you're saying. 
course. <laughs> he's hedging his bet on the over seven and a half. That's an interesting. That's an interesting. What I do. Uh, all right. So you know what? what I do. Today, and obviously we'll do podcasts all throughout the season, and this could change. Let's go through it. North Carolina. Mike. It's why I mean it's winnable. My my North Carolina. Well, any game, is any game is winnable. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, well. So that's that's the thing too. I think a lot of games on the schedule are winnable. <laughs> that that's that's the thing. If you squint hard enough, they are. Um, the, the North Carolina game is is winnable because of when you get them. If you get them a month later, like sure. you're, not, you're not feeling as good about it. My my whole thing is not that Virginia Tech is as talented as North Carolina because I don't think they are. But um, when you kind of consider everything, right? Virginia Tech's strength of their defense should be their corner their cornerbacks right they have two really good starters in Jermaine Waller and who we would assume to be Dorian Strong but they got Breon Murray they got Armani Chapman you got Shamari Connor in the nickel like you got a pretty decent defensive backfield before before you talk about the safeties which I think is kind of the wild card at the secondary um, but when you consider just strictly the corners matching up against North Carolina skill position talent North Carolina's got guys they've recruited well right at receiver um, but they'll be playing in their first college game in Lane Stadium. And I don't want to overstate the Lane Stadium atmosphere because a lot of teams go in there and they're not intimidated by Virginia Tech anymore. But I think when you consider the fact that we're coming out of a pandemic, this is going to be a very different atmosphere in Blacksburg. And I think it's a tough one to break new skill position talent into in an opener. So because of that, I think when you get them is really pivotal. Um, now, North Carolina probably wins the game. Um, but I could see it definitely being close. I think they're five and a half point favorites right now. I could definitely see this thing staying, staying around a touchdown either way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a winnable, it's a winnable game because of when you get them, North Carolina, certainly the favorite in the coastal division media picked them first, but I think Virginia tech has an opportunity here in the opener. And Mike, I, I, I understand what you're saying about that first game post pandemic, and I'm super excited for it personally. And, you know, despite all the negative reviews that we get on this podcast, which luckily for us are few and far between, we all actually do root for Virginia Tech. We just try to shoot as straight as we possibly can. And there's nothing I've been looking forward to essentially since March of 2020. than the opportunity to go back to Lane Stadium and hang out with my friends. There's nothing I've been looking forward to more than the opportunity to go back to Hokie House on the day of the game. And for those of you that are our listeners that might be interested, me and Mike live from Hokie House, four o'clock on Friday before the game. If you don't have a tailgate to go to, stop by, say hi. We'll be there. Hokie House pregame show on ESPN Blacksburg. It's a blast. But at the end of the Hokie House pregame show on ESPN Blacksburg at Hokie House, which starts at 4 p.m., ends at 5.15 they will ask me to make a pick for this game. And I will say Virginia Tech is going to lose. And here's why. Sam Howell, Heisman caliber quarterback. Yes, I know. His main weapons from last year are gone. But there's talent all across that roster. And there's a good, stable offensive line to protect him. There's too many questions on this Virginia Tech roster. How's Devon Hunter going to be? Are they going to target him on the first play of the game? I think they might. And in his first real year in this new defense, I don't know how he's going to react. He's a great athlete. There's a reason he was a five-star recruit on many sites. But I haven't seen enough from Virginia Tech defense that in their third most relevant game from now, which is Pittsburgh 2020, 
he got absolutely steamrolled by Kenny Pickett. And I can say they can come out and stop how they couldn't stop him last year. And I know there's that second year coordinator advantage, but it's just hard for me who doesn't necessarily believe that North Carolina is worthy of being the top 10 team in the country, the 10th best team in the country, ninth in the coaches poll. They might not be that good, but Virginia Tech's not getting that kind of credit for a reason. I think North Carolina's got this one. What about you, Ricky? I'll get into it a bit deeper on next week's pod, but North Carolina is extremely overrated. Um, there's They have no there business is, right. being the 10th team in the country. Um, I personally think this offense is going to be quite fraudulent relative to what everyone is expecting from them, from at least from the national media, which, again, you get what you pay for with them. Uh, that being said, like you mentioned, uh, Andrew, Sam Howell is still pretty good. Uh, Virginia Tech's defense, while I think the secondary is actually going to be pretty pretty solid this year uh, because of the depth they have at cornerback, I think Shamari Connor gives them – I think he's going to be better this year. I think 2019 is probably going to be a bit closer to this year than what he did last year because his production certainly dipped. Um, but I still don't trust – Virginia Tech's offense to keep pace and Tech will probably lose that game by seven to 10 points. Um, but I don't think it'll be a blowout again. I, I do think North Carolina is uh, pretty, pretty overrated. And it's a shame because when they beat Virginia Tech in the first week, uh, people are going to start talking about Carolina as a playoff team. And um, I don't know their schedule off the top of my head, but I have a feeling we'll see that that's, a bunch of a bunch of Bologna after the first few weeks of the season. So I think we're all on the same page. And L week one. Week two, a quarterback that we've talked about at length in at least one episode of this podcast, Bailey Hockman, comes to town with the Blue Raiders of Middle Tennessee State. Justin Fuente has been unable in two of the last three seasons to hold off a sub-Power 5 team. I'll just go ahead and say, Middle Tennessee State wasn't good last year. <laughs> they lose almost all of their production from a team that won three games, I think only two in Conference USA. I'm going to write this down as a win. Are there any pessimists in the room that disagree? Can't, can't. I mean, guys, guys, if... <laughs> Fuente finds a way to lose to Middle Tennessee State the week before West Virginia and Tech starts 0-3. Bruh. Trap game. Trap game. This could be <laughs> if if Tech loses to Middle Tennessee and starts 0-2, like I don't know if Babcock would fire him after that, but I'll tell you when he would fire him. He'd fire him in the second week of October because if Tech doesn't beat Middle Tennessee, I'll tell you what, they're they're not beating West Virginia. They should beat Richmond, but then they're probably not beating Notre Dame or Pitt. If Tech starts one and five, we're talking it's midseason firing and total chaos. Can't well, lose Middle Tennessee. That'd be fun for content though. Ricky, what do you think? Uh Tech, at least in my lifetime, has sucked in these white effect games. I uh, <laughs> wish they would take it off the schedule. Um should East Carolina said, come back to town. God shut up. Stop God. talking. Jesus. <laughs> Do you guys remember that game in in sorry I know this is a complete tangent but that game in Greenville where Tech went down what was it 17 nothing against East Carolina and won like 52 to 17 Brendan Motley. like the the no 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 that wasn't Brendan that was um 
I believe that was uh, was it? What was it? What, it would have been Ryan Willis, wouldn't it? Was it? I think I don't know, it was, we'll have to go back. We'll, I, I forget what year that was, but yeah, we'd have to. Oh go no, back it was. Uh, no, it was Josh Jackson. That's that was Josh Jackson. Okay. All right. Yeah, it was. Right. I'm pretty sure it was a 2017 right. game because I was in the box and it was on the road. Oh. I'm you know sitting what? up there I'm at the sorry. beat writers, and we're all losing our damn minds because we're like, geez, Tech is about to get railroaded by East Carolina. I'm sorry. Um, you know what I was thinking of? I was you're thinking, thinking of the- you're, you're thinking of the game where they went up like 28 to 7 and they lost. Or no, they were they went up 14 nothing and lost 35 28 in 2015. I well, I was I was there for that one. I think the one I'm confusing it with um is back in 20. Yeah, it was either 20, I think it was 2014 or 2015 when uh, Tech was struggling early against Purdue and then blew the freaking brakes off them in West Lafayette. That's what I was thinking of. Molly was a quarterback then for that. Yeah. But anyway, sorry, Rick. I'm sorry. Not, while, while we're on the train of misery, I'll never forget Virginia Tech coming off of a win against number eight Ohio State. Oh, uh, yeah. They, they themselves was, yeah. get up to number 17 in the country. Come yep. back to Blacksburg, crazy atmosphere for a nooner, for a nooner, and lose twenty eight twenty one versus DCU. Fans yep. were in the stands at eleven o'clock for a nooner. Guys, we were former students. Like we were all students know, at that time. <laughs> I know, but but you guys, you guys know how that just never happens. That's not a normal thing for a noon kickoff. It used to be a normal thing. Yeah. It did. It really did used to be normal. But back to the the, the task Sorry. at hand here. No, they're going to beat Middle Tennessee. I don't think that they're going to beat them by a large amount. Uh, Tech will probably win this game by 10 to 14 points. And we'll have the same conversation that we've had the last few years is that Tech will underwhelm against another bad team. And it's going to be a sign of things to come, unfortunately. Furman 2019. Um, oh, God. God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I hate to not do that again. Those are, <laughs> those are the devil's words. But hey, let's move on to West Virginia. Mike, what do you think is going to happen in Morgantown? I think Tech's going to beat West Virginia. I do too. Uh, nope. Tech loses that game. Ooh, really? Yeah. Okay. Ricky, I, I, I feel like what we know about West Virginia is almost less certain than what we know about Tech at this point. I mean, this is a team that was led by their defense last year, and their top four defensive players are off the roster. I mean, the atmosphere in Morgantown will will, will play some advantage there, but this hasn't been a dominant team since they joined the Big 12, and I like Virginia Tech's offense better. I'll give them I think it's a definitive coin flip game. Do you trust Virginia Tech in a coin flip game? I don't. Uh, I, they've they've <laughs> played in they've played in plenty of them. I've seen both outcomes. So <laughs> it's almost as if it's been 50-50. I, it's a rivalry uh, game. I think Tech comes out fired up. I mean, the, the atmosphere just even if we FedEx say that it's a fun. rivalry, but you know, Tech and West Virginia, other than the the twenty seventeen game, haven't played since you know we were all kids. It's a bigger deal to a fan. It's a bigger deal to it fans, definitely. It's definitely a bigger order. deal to the fan base. Yeah, now, specifically now, the older fans than, the, than quick, the players. Quick note, Doug Nestor is expected to start at guard for West Virginia this year. I'll be a little motivation. <laughs> um, yeah, but motivation no, I, on I, both sides. I think Tech probably loses that game. 
All right, so we're going to put W for Mike, W for Andrew, L for Ricky. Don't hold Let's, me to this. We're not holding. This is just for fun. This is just for fun. Uh, Early prognostication. Can we put yes. Ws across the board for the Richmond game, or are we going to get really negative? I mean, it's shaky. I'll give them the W, but it's kind of the same thing with Middle Tennessee. I was actually reading a bit on Richmond earlier. Um, they're returning a lot of guys and they were 14th in the country in FCS last year. So this is, this game kind of gives me Liberty vibes in the sense that, you know, this is an in-state opponent that tech has probably better players across the board. Uh, but I have a feeling that Richmond is going to be a thorn in the side. Again, I think tech wins this game, but it could be by just maybe, you know, 10 to 14 points. I think Tech's got a better chance to lose to Richmond than they do to Middle Tennessee. Oh, well, again, Richmond does not suck. Like at least no, I don't think they're they going to. Just look, just doing some quick reading. Also, real quick, Orioles just ended their losing streak. Yes, really congratulations. Orioles I wish I, I wish I was on the radio board so I could play Orioles magic. Feel it happen. But so, I can't. yeah, so. I mean, Richmond is. I mean, now you want to talk about midseason firing? You lose to Richmond at home. Oh. And that way we can just, just bring in James Madison and we can lose to them too. So we can just lose to every Virginia program. And just demote ourselves to the FCS. Yeah. I understand. Yeah, so, Why not? No, Norfolk I, state. They're around, but Norfolk state. I do believe that uh, tech will win that game. I just, I don't think it's going to be by very much. I am going to invest in my own long-term mental health and assume <laughs> that they do beat Richmond, but to your point, Ricky, if there was a case scenario that were to lead to a midseason firing, and now right Richmond would be uh, the put the house on the market game. And, and there's plenty of other put the house on the market games coming up that we can get to. But one game that Virginia Tech actually can afford to lose if the rest of the stuff goes right would be against Notre Dame. This is a team that was in the college football playoff last year. This is a team that Mike writes blog posts about. So we'll give him first dibs. What happens? Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, and Lane Stadium. The entire story is if Virginia Tech can stop the run of Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree, they will have an opportunity to hang around and potentially win this game at home. I don't think it happens, but Notre Dame's replacing a lot of skilled talent on the outside. Um, they do have Michael Mayer, who's a very good tight end, um, but they, they got some guys that got to replace up front. Jack Cone um, is starting. Jack Cone is starting, which former Badger. I mean, Jack Cone's not as good as Ian Book, in my opinion. Ian, I mean, I think they're pretty much the same quarterback for the first few years of Ian Book's career, and then Ian Book just kind of turned on the throttle when he was a junior and senior. Um, I, I think this is a downgrade at quarterback for Notre Dame, but they have two very good running backs. Um, Chris Tyree's a Virginia kid, <laughs> and he's a stud. And Kyron Williams is a a also, value. Also, Carroll is on. I don't know if he's going to be starting, but Quinn Carroll is on that team. And for people who um, may remember that last name, his brother was a player back in Virginia Tech's heyday. Yep. Yep. DJ Carroll. I can't remember his first name now. Give me a few minutes and I'll, I'll find it. Well, regardless, I'm going to go ahead and take this as an L. Notre Dame was a very good team last year. Obviously, they went to the college football playoff. They were the ACC's regular season champions. They beat Clemson, albeit without Trevor Lawrence. 
it was quarterback, offensive line, defensive line that led them there. Those position groups are essentially all gone, but it's Notre Dame. They recruit very well. I'll give Brian Kelly the benefit of the doubt. This isn't going to be a 2016 Notre Dame situation in my estimation, and I'll give Notre Dame the W. So an L for Virginia Tech. And Ricky, do you feel the same thing? Yeah, Tech doesn't win big games, so <laughs> Tech's going to lose. All right, we move on one week later and remain at Lane Stadium when Kenny Pickett and Pittsburgh come to town. Mike, you've been covering Kenny Pickett forever, so we'll give you first dibs. Narduzzi can't beat Fuente in Lane Stadium, so I'm not going to be. I'm not going to sit here and pick Pittsburgh. I'm going to say there's a letdown game every single year, and last year Pitt steamrolled Tech. I have no reason to believe that won't happen again. Loss, Ricky. Uh, give me a dub for that one. Wow, Ricky going more positive than me on this one. Also, by the way, it's Colin Carroll. Colin Carroll. No relation to Colin Cowherd. Uh, next game on the schedule. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Definitely, definitely not. <laughs> Moving on. Next game on the schedule. I caught us off guard. Jeez. A battle of coaches on the hot seat. Justin Fuente. Versus Dino Babers. Both caught fire bus. early in their tenures. Warm up the bus. The, the real question here is to whether or not Dino will be coaching this game. This is late October. Is Dino actually going to be coaching in this game? Okay, so why would you have kept Dino Babers other than for money purposes? If you were going to fire him for having a bad season in a season where he loses everyone. They were really, really, really injured last year. Like, and also, Dino's really charismatic. Yes. <laughs> and he won He won 10 games there one time, which is more you could say about the last guy, Scott Shaver. So. Which is why they should replace him with Mark Mangino. Um, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? We're having fun, Mike. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a name I haven't heard in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> hey, beat Virginia Tech in the freaking Orange Bowl. He's so. alive, right? Don't For remind sure. me. Uh, let's, let's Wikipedia that. Mark Mangino fired for physically abusing players. Um, <laughs> hey, no, he's alive. He's there. He's still kicking it. Shout good. out to you, Mark Mangino, if you're listening. Good job at Kansas. <laughs> Who's got the last laugh now? <laughs> if Tech loses to Syracuse, this is another one of the uh, – Pack your bags, get out the U-Haul games for Justin Fuente. So I just think if Tech loses enough games at all, I think that my shtick for the entire winner is hire Mark Mangino. But I, <laughs> I, I digress. I might just be here for that personally. Um, all right, so we're gonna all say that Syracuse is the win. Yeah, uh, Tech Tech will win that game. Mike, what's the quarterback situation in Syracuse look like? Is there any chance? Is there any hope for Syracuse here to have? Eric Dungy's not suiting up again, right? No. They wish. All right, then. That's, that's really the main thing I'm worried about. So no, you're staying in that freaking dumb. It's, it's going to be Tommy DeVito again, it's looking like. Um, Rex Culpepper, who you guys will remember, uh, he was on college, a big deal on college game day a couple of years ago because he came back from having cancer and came back into the program and was able to play. Uh, he finally graduated, so um, it's going to be mostly Tommy DeVito's show. Um, and then hopefully it it all goes well. Jacoby and Morgan's another quarterback they broke in last year because it was DeVito was not very good. Morgan's a sophomore. I just I don't see him playing a ton. So I, 
DeVito better be good or else it's going to be a total mess. Okay, well, uh, unfortunately for Virginia Tech, the long string of home games is now over, and now we go down to Atlanta to play the Ramblin' Wreck from Georgia Tech. Program in transition over the course of the last few years. I think that when you look at the entire division in the Coastal, Georgia Tech might be the only team with more question marks than Virginia Tech. So what do you guys think? Is this an easy W? Is this a W at all? You forgot about Duke there. Um, but Duke, okay, what, Duke's got a lot of question marks, but like a very low ceiling. <laughs> so. Right. You want, yeah. um, no, I mean, if you want to pick a game in conference play that Virginia Tech could lose or we're not really expecting him to, and you're not picking the Pittsburgh game, I think this is one that, that you could pick. Um, it's on the road. I, I don't think Virginia Tech loses to loses to Georgia Tech. I think they win, but I think this could be this could be a tough spot. Um, it's not going to be tougher than the Boston College game, which we'll talk about in a second. But this could be a potentially tough spot. I don't think Georgia Tech's there yet. Um, I think they're getting there. Jeff Collins is recruiting well, but um, I I don't think they're they're quite there yet. I think Virginia Tech wins this game here. Yeah, I mean, you look at the problems that Georgia Tech's had over the past few years, and a lot of it plays into the schedule, right? I mean, they get a rabid schedule every year. Their cross-divisional opponent is Clemson, who they do have to recruit against every year, but they are in a good recruiting spot. I saw them make progress last year. I saw them make progress even in year number one with a team that wasn't necessarily equipped to the offense. But And, I, and by the way, I like Jeff Sims. I think he is a good first quarterback to have in this transition that being said the disciplinary issues the penalties all the things that we've seen the turnovers them kind of shooting themselves in the foot without seeing them rectify that situation it's hard for me to pick them against virginia tech so i'm going to take a w here ricky what do you think uh this is the fall flat on your face game tech loses right, and so by tech i mean virginia tech that's fair you do need to make a distinction all right, well, in Ricky's mind, you lose on Saturday in Atlanta. You fly back to Blacksburg, and then middle of the week the next week, you fly up to Boston for a Friday night matchup with Boston College. I think this might be a doozy. I'll get to it in a second. Ricky, what do you think of this game? This is one of those, this is one of those road trips going to Boston. It's a Friday night. Um, not really sure what the atmosphere is going to be. I, I think Boston College is going to be decent, but even when they're decent, their fans don't really care. Like Boston College fans don't get excited about uh, Eagles football unless Matt Ryan is still there, which he's not. So I can... that time machine works. They'll be good. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean – I, I really like Jeff Halfley, so I'm going to go with Boston College. Yeah, I, I expect Boston College to be pretty good, so I think this is definitely a game that Virginia Tech could lose. I'm, I'm going to go with Boston College here. Um, I think BC surprised some people last year with how good they were, and I'm really interested to see what happens in year two. You think about Louisville with Satterfield in year one. They jumped up in that opener against Notre Dame a couple of years back in 2019 on Labor Day, and they hung with Notre Dame for a while and then Notre Dame pulled away in the second half. But we knew kind of at the start of the year, we were like, man, that Louisville team 
sucked in 2018 and in 2019 they were like you know it was like a clean slate with Satterfield and they actually made a bowl game well last year the bottom fell out from under it now does the same thing happen with Halfley is there like a sophomore slump in year two that's what I'm interested to see if they're as good as they were in year one is it really sustainable in Chestnut Hill which I have questions about I think Halfley if he has a couple good years he could bolt um but this is going to be a really really interesting game and I'm really curious to see how good BC is this year. But yeah, I'll take BC here. Sorry. Yeah, Mike. And the Louisville situation, by the way, I talked about that at length on the radio show today. And it's very confusing what happened to Louisville in 2020 because almost similarly to Virginia Tech, it seemed like offensively they had all the weapons on the table to be in for a good season. And Louisville had Hawkins in the backfield and they had Atwell and the other guy's name escapes me out wide. And it was just pure speed. That was the name of the game for them. And turnovers were an issue for them. And ultimately they outgained their opponents in nine out of 11 games and still ended up with four wins out of 11 on the schedule. I feel like that's an anomaly though I feel like that's not going to happen to most teams and you think about the Virginia Tech Boston College game last year and the final score shows a large margin of Virginia Tech victory but there's two things you have to remember number one is that Virginia Tech when the game felt one in the second half ran away with it I remember being personally stressed about that game midway through the third quarter before Virginia Tech really took hold the second thing is that early in the game Boston College, led by Phil Jerkovic, who, by the way, in a transitional period for a head coach, was probably the best possible quarterback they could have gotten. Easy transition, former five-star guy, was at Notre Dame, switches to another Jesuit school in Boston College, immediately has the opportunity to start. And he's their guy. But turnovers, and I think specifically it was fumbles and maybe one or two interceptions, perhaps on tipped passes, that was killing their momentum and giving Virginia Tech possession, saving drives, and Virginia Tech just kept going. I don't think that happens in year two. You have Dracovic. You have an offensive line that is filled with, I believe, at least three guys who are considered to be NFL caliber. You have Zay Flowers, who, if anyone remembers week one of 2019, the first game we ever previewed on this podcast, Zay Flowers put on a show in a game where Ryan Willis threw three interceptions. And they bring back Kobe White, who was injured all year last year. And I think they have another five-star guy in their back pocket who they're willing to put in as wide receiver number three. I'll take a good offensive line, a better quarterback, because quite frankly, Phil Dracovic is a better quarterback than Braxton Burmeister until Burmeister proves me otherwise, and I certainly hope he does. And I'll give them the win there. So, yeah, especially on a short week coming back from Atlanta. I mean, it, that would be a big dub. The, the odds are just totally stacked against Virginia Tech in this one. That would be a huge win. We're going to go L's across the board. All right, this should be a win. Duke comes to town. Mike, we know you love Duke football. Tell us about what David Cutler brings to town. Pack your bags, baby. If you lose this one, they're, they're going to suck. I mean, Mateo Durant's going to be – I mean, he was a problem for Tech last year running back. He's back. Um, Duke has some shuffling they're doing on the offensive line. Um, they're trying to break in a few new guys on the outside. Um, quarterback, it's going to be Gunnar Holmberg. He's uh, basically a career backup. So I, I don't expect this to be very good for Duke. 
So got to win this one. I will give Virginia Tech the W. Duke couldn't figure it out last year. They lost most of their offensive production and they had a quarterback that turned the ball over a ton last year in Chase Bryce. You remember Trevor Lawrence's former backup. They thought he would be the guy to save the day. Terrible turnover ratio. And the guy that they brought in to back him up, who is now the starting quarterback, was actually worse. So I don't think the solution is there. Give Virginia Tech the victory. And like Mike said, pack your bags if you lose, especially at home. Ricky, do you have a super pessimistic take on this where Duke beats Virginia Tech? I think it's possible. I don't think it's likely. Uh, I think Virginia Tech wins the game, but I, I, I'm, I don't really think that Virginia Tech is good enough to blow anyone out on their schedule this year. Um, so I'll take Virginia Tech to win, but they're going to have, they're coming off two back to back, you know, road games. Both of those are going to be tough. Miami's on the horizon. Uh, Virginia is obviously two weeks away. I just, eh, you know, I, I'm not feeling all that great about this game, but Duke again is very, Duke very sucks. bad. They yeah. Suck. Yeah. So, so give me, give me tech in another 10 to 14 point win tops. All right. We head down South to Miami, Florida, where Virginia tech plays the U now. Mike McDaniel seems to believe the U is back. And after doing research, hey, I kind of agree. But hey, Mike, hey, wait, not, hey. I had an entire argument about this today. Saying the U is back does not necessarily mean that the U is back to what they were in the year 2000. Okay. I had Ed Reed and Ray Lewis. But the U is back to being a team that in a two-year period between 2020 and 2021 can have consecutive successful seasons. And with 19 returning starters, I believe they will do so, especially with De'Ara King at the helm. That's my that's my spiel right now. I'll yeah. give Miami the win. Mike, what do you think? Miami's the most talented team in the Coastal Division, and that's nothing new. They always are. They, they return more talent than North Carolina. North Carolina is getting the hype that Miami should actually be getting coming into the season. Well, we don't care about preseason polls really that much, but what I will say is we always talk about how overhyped Miami is. Miami is actually, in my opinion, a little bit underrated considering what they're returning on both sides of the ball. So, yeah, Miami's my pick to win the Coastal. I think they went here. And by, and by the way, I, I I don't necessarily disagree with that pick, but Ricky, what do you think? The general rule in, in my brain is that you never trust Miami football um, yeah, in terms of their, their preseason record. That being said, Virginia Tech's not very good. And uh, Virginia Tech has, you know, just again, doesn't win big games um, as of late. And you, you kind of have to roll with that until proven otherwise. Uh, this is their third long road trip in four weeks. I remember, you know, I said this when the schedule came out. This was one of the worst scheduling setups to finish a season that I've ever seen a Virginia Tech team have to have to go to Atlanta, to Chestnut Hill, to Miami in a matter of a month. And then that happens to be the year that you obviously also get Virginia on the road. Um, and you get one home game over the, over the span of five weeks. So this is a terrible end of the schedule. And this is, you know, as we go through this, I'm starting to realize that I don't think tech is going to win seven games. <laughs> um, 
So Texas, well, it's physically impossible at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so far. I, like I, I've been having this thought for like 15 minutes, and I'm like, yeah, it just keep, get, keeps getting worse. So I'll take uh, Tech to lose uh, this game. But again, I don't think Miami is – I'm not sure that they're a top 15 team in the country just because my gut always tells me that you don't trust the Hurricanes uh, in, until proven otherwise. All right, so we're going L's across the board there. Last game of the year is UVA. Mike, what do you think of the Hoos? I don't think Virginia is going to be very good. So, Tech's lost to him once in like almost two decades, and it took a revolutionary quarterback for UVA for that to happen. So. And and here's here's the thing with Brennan Armstrong. Brennan Armstrong is definitely a pain in the ass. He is to defend. He's he's gutsy. He's got some arm talent. He's an athlete. He is not Bryce Perkins, but he's got he's got some moxie to him. That being said, Brennan Armstrong is like a as as sturdy as a loose leaf sheet of paper, and they run him into the ground just like Virginia Tech has been running their quarterbacks into the ground. So I don't believe that Brennan Armstrong is going to come into this game fully healthy. If he does, Virginia Tech's going to be in a little bit of trouble. Uh, that being said, you can throw previous records out the window for this game um i have a a maybe a bias against bronco mendenhall because i think he's gotten way more praise than he should given his track record in charlottesville uh i'll take tech to win this game um again it's gonna it'll be another just absolute slugfest a dog fight it's probably going to be some ugly football uh, as we've grown accustomed to. Also, this should be on Black Friday. It's a joke that it's not. Well, I'm okay with it not being on Black Friday. It just helps my Thanksgiving travel. It's a, a tradition, more. dog. It's I know. A tradition. But it's a tradition for me to have to leave Thanksgiving early to try to get to this game when it's in Charlottesville, and I'm okay with that not being a thing. Um, gosh, Ricky, when you talk about the sturdiness of a starting quarterback, though, I feel like that plays against us. Um, no, it, it, it's it's almost certainly on both ends, but Virginia's team almost exclusively revolves around Brennan Armstrong. Um, well, who's going to throw the ball to freaking Trey Turner and James Mitchell, Max Caden? You know, to be quite, I, don't, I don't know a lot about Virginia's backups, but my, from my understanding is there's not that much there. So it may just be a it may be a push in that regard, and if that's the case, Virginia Tech still has the better team. If we're talking about, I mean, know, uh, uh, over, overall, yes, you're you're absolutely right. Which is now, why I'm going to pick Virginia now, Tech. I will too. say this: if if we go into this game and Braxton Burmeister's on the bench and Brennan Armstrong's playing, I'll I'll probably take the Hoos to win this game. Um, but if 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 both quarterbacks are there, which is a, a very unsafe assumption then I'll take Virginia Tech to win as a slight as a slight favorites. Yeah, I, I feel like it's been very good for my mental health and maybe the mental health of everyone in the fan base and probably Justin Fuente's employment status that Virginia Tech ran away with this one in 2020 last game of the season then declined that bull game and kind of just went out on that note. I'll take the Virginia Tech to win because – like you said, Ricky, if you went position by position, just assuming the starters are all healthy, Virginia Tech's got a clearly better football team. A football team that reflects the 
status of Virginia Tech football versus Virginia over the course of the past 20 years. But if Braxton Burmeister is hurt and Brendan Armstrong is not, all bets are off because, yes, Braxton Burmeister isn't a fantastic quarterback. Neither is Brendan Armstrong, but they're both capable. And we've seen Brendan Armstrong play as a more than capable quarterback. And against an unproven quarterback, I, I would believe that he has the opportunity to quarterback that team to victory. I'm not going to assume assumptions. By the way, every pick I made today was made with the assumption that Braxton Burmeister is healthy and playing at the higher end of the level that we saw him play in 2020. If he's might... hurt, if he's hurt, this season goes in the tank real quick. We can yep. all agree to that, right? Oh yeah. That, that yep. is the fast track to the dumpster fire. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I'll give Virginia Tech the victory. So that puts us at the end of the season. Mike McDaniel with eight and four. I have seven and five. Rick has six and six. And I feel like, that's about standard with us, right? Mike has usually got a bit more optimism than 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 you and I, Andrew, and yeah, I yeah, usually yeah. have a bit more negativity than both of y'all. Right, so left, and about, center, baby. Right, left, and center. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you have to keep in mind that if Burmeister does – if Burmeister stays healthy and is halfway decent, six to eight seems like the margin of error. But if if, if Burmeister's healthy and he's not bad, I think eight wins is not maybe not the most likely outcome, but it's it it's somewhat realistic. It's probably seven to eight. But if he's not very good, then you're you're starting to look at that six to seven range, um, maybe even five. And if he gets if he gets hurt, then we're looking at less than six guaranteed. I think so too. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there. It should be interesting, though. But again... This is going to be one of the, the weirder seasons, I think, for Virginia Tech, just because, again, Justin's on the hot seat. Everyone knows it. Uh, the season could really just fold in a matter of seconds if Braxton Burmeister lands on his, you know, lands wrong or his, <laughs> his leg gets twisted up. Not like it hasn't happened before. Yeah, and especially if they just, you know, run the quarterback 15 to 20 times a game, which, for the love of God, can we not do that this okay, year? Okay, quickly, quickly, because I know we've been running for like an hour and a half. Yeah. Do you adjust your game plan knowing that you have no backup? Yes, you have to. You need to. You have to. You got a 1,000 running backs. Use any of them. Like, like I, I understand that the read option is such a critical part of Brad Cornelson's thought process when he's calling plays. But you have to understand the reality of the situation and that if you don't have Braxton Burmeister on the field, you are now trusting your season. And if you're Justin Fuente, you're trusting your job to a quarterback that you didn't plan on taking in the first place until Hendon Hooker went into the transfer portal the first time. Yep. Uh, real quick, one, one final question. If Fuente goes 9-3 and three and Texas job opens – you think he leaves? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Of now wait, 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 wait. You said the Texas job? A a Texas job. Oh, not the I was Texas like, job. I was like, Sarkeesian wouldn't get fired in year one, no. would he? No, okay, no, okay. How, how, how about job. this? We'll say if Justin Bunday has a successful enough season that he not only gets retained but would be a decent candidate to leave, would he leave? I say yes. I say I yes. Hear, too. I hear he's got a friend in Lubbock. 
<laughs> Talk about, uh, you know, uh, our good friend Don V says, why would you go from uh, one unstable situation to another? Well, I, I don't know. Might work out for your old boss. But let's go through it. Ricky is six and six. Does Justin Bunte still have a job? I didn't think he was going to have a job last time. I feel like the stakes have changed. I feel like the circumstances have changed because they have. If if Tech goes six and six, he shouldn't. If Tech goes six and six, they need to part ways. Thank Justin for your service. Appreciate it. And we're going to move on. Um, if if they go six and six and he keeps them, then you know this program is on the the one way trip to just irrelevance. And that would be astronomically depressing. <laughs> yeah, program purgatory would be no fun. I'm gonna program say- purgatory. I like it. We need to we need to get that hashtag ready in the oven in case we have to uh, deploy yeah. it. In maybe like mid October. Maybe T-shirts. Who do we sell Ooh. that to? I feel like oh, Boston College. God, that would be program killer. To sell it to <laughs> under under Steve Adazio, but <laughs> apparently they feel like they've gotten out of that. Mike, I assume you feel like six and six is gone too, but. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Six, six wins. He's out. Um, six, I mean, six wins. If, if he's got to like wait to the UVA game to get six, he's probably not even coaching that game. I feel like my scenario though is more curious. The seven and five one, seven yeah. and five. A lot of questions are on seven and five. will just drive a, a giant stake <laughs> into the middle of the divide. That is the fan base. Yeah. And it's like, the most likely outcome. About, you want to talk about, continuing the polarization of the fans that are that are uh the most vocal yeah seven and five will do it right then and there and i think it's the most likely outcome on paper and also the most (laughs) infuriating because i think there's going to be like i i mean i at seven and five in my opinion my personal opinion i don't think they should retain them i think it should be eight or more but andrew i thought Chris Coleman's thought on, on the drive yesterday um, on Tuesday on, on your radio show was interesting where he said, okay, like, I don't know what the set number is because the answer is does Whit Babcock like the candidate pool enough to be fully convinced it, just saying, you know, if the program doesn't bottom out, right. If it's like seven or eight wins is the candidate pool good enough for Whit Babcock to say, I can find my guy out of the, these three or four candidates that I'm interviewing that will definitely be better than Justin Fuente. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a fair, that's a fair answer. Once you get into that seven or eight win range, you're trying to decide who to, you know, that you're going to part with him. It's okay. Is the next guy I'm going to get, is he, does he a want to come here and B is he going to be better than Fuente? And that's the question Babcock needs to ask himself. If you were Whit Babcock and you have just moved on from Justin Fuente, the one person you should be absolutely backing up the, the Brinks truck to is Jeff Halfley. Interesting take. I would. Oh, I don't think that happens. Oh, I I don't think it does either, but you want to talk about someone who I think can turn around the program. I don't know. I, I, I would put my money on Jeff Halfley. I'll throw all, I'll throw my entire wallet, my entire credit card limit at Tony Elliott. How about that? I, uh, I'm going to go defense with Mike Elko at Texas A&M. All right. Well, we have plenty of time to prognosticate about what happens if the coach gets fired in 
three months, but seven and five, I would say that, yeah, again, I actually don't know. I'm going to say nothing, but you guys are absolutely right. Stake right through the divide in the fan base. It would be sad. Also, it would be kind of hilarious from an entertainment standpoint. It'd be very uh, entertaining. It would be funny for sure. But another thing that Chris Coleman said when he came on my radio show on Tuesday was the fan base owns this program. And ultimately, it's going to be the dissatisfaction of the fan base or lack thereof that's going to decide the future of the program. So we have to see how people feel. But seven and five this year ain't all that far off from five and six last year. Yeah. Because of the lack of non-conference games last year and losing to Liberty was losing to Liberty, but Liberty wasn't that freaking bad of a team. They, they were top good. 20 in the country. Yeah, they were good. And it's top 20 in the country. They were it's good, not, but at a certain point you've got to be, you got to own your state. Yes. It wasn't no, I, that I, they lost. It wasn't that they lost. It was how they lost. That's no. true. That's absolutely, that, that's absolutely right. But you could put up the same honor field results that you did last year and end up with seven and five this year, as you did with five and six last year. And that's just reality based on the schedule. Agree. So, I mean, obviously it's very curious eight and four though. I'm going to say safe. I think he's safe at eight and four, especially if you're able to clinch a top 25 recruiting class. If you, if you do that in eight and four, you can sell it to the donors. Rick, your thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> like I just eight, he doesn't eight and know. four. Rick doesn't know. I mean, he's I, he's like the rest of us, and it's it's like, fair. I mean, it's it, it, look. I I remember when this program was like, like I, when I was a fan, I'm like, oh my god, like Tech's got a chance at of ten or eleven wins. Like Tech's gonna be fighting for the top fifteen. Like we we you know we're if, if everything falls right, we're gonna win the ACC or be second in the ACC, and we're going to play in a cool-ass bowl game, or we're going to play a cool-ass end-of-the-year game. It's going to be awesome. And, and this guy I'm with cool here, hair named Mitt Romney is running for president. Like, <laughs> now, a long time ago. <laughs> and now I'm sitting here, and it's 2021. I'm 27 years old, and I'm like, oh, if, they, if everything works out just right, Tech can win eight games. Woohoo! Playing the pinstripe like, bowl. That is, that is literally the most depressing, like, like you, you guys know the meme, right? Where, where it's like upgrade, right? And you, you know, you have Beamer and it's upgrade and it's Justin Fuente. And there's the other button that says, fuck it, go back. And you're going to have to edit that out. That's like, that's where I'm at right now. Like I just, because of what I've lived through as a tech fan, I cannot get excited about eight wins. It just does not get me going. You, you you get to nine and and no you know okay we're almost there you know nine's good, but eight wins it's just like who gives a shit like at, at a certain point you have to be able to aim higher and actually hit higher. I'm tired okay, of but... I'm tired of sitting here about being like oh god I hope we can get to eight this year like god I'm just I'll, I'll, I'm, I'll, I'm, I'll... I'm just scrounging through the schedule like damn okay, I don't know where we're Ricky, gonna get though, to eight at Ricky I'll <laughs> never root against progress. <laughs> Especially when progress is within the context. I know, but of the information point, that's in front of like, me, and the is, information that's in front of me is, is that this team isn't that good. <laughs> it's depressing. This is a ten-win you... football team, <laughs> guys. Guys, so what if? <laughs> hang, hang with, hang with me here. 
what if Virginia Tech goes undefeated in the month of September and still only wins like six or seven games? I mean, I would love to play all of these chaos scenarios. If Tech, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I know we need to wrap up, and I know we're droning on and on, but like, it's been a good pod. Would, it's been it, a good it, pod. Well, yeah, but if Tech were to beat North Carolina, which is now the realm of possibility, and they were able to beat West Virginia, right, and they were able to win the two non-conference games that they should win, right, and they're four and zero, yeah, then. The path is to nine wins, right? Like, give you got to win nine at that point. Give me the alternative because I feel like that's just as chaotic. Swept in the month of September and then beat everyone other than Miami from that point on. Give me a Notre Dame upset in the fashion of going to Miami in 2019 and taking that 28-point lead and barely hanging on. And then you beat Pittsburgh, you beat Syracuse, you take care of Boston College, Georgia Tech. Maybe you drop one at Miami, but then you take care of Duke and uh, take care of Duke and uh, UVA. And suddenly, it feels like because that's where the momentum comes from. Because in a situation where you win all those games in the beginning, and then you lose out at the end, it gives the impression of inflating balloon. But a a bad September and then a really good end of the season. And you could say even bad September to early October where say they lose to Notre Dame, but then they beat Miami. That gives the impression of serious momentum, but the ultimate Fuente naysayers will, will not buy into that. There are so many scenarios this season that lead to even more chaos in this fan base. Like, Basically, as we laid out, eight wins, safe, seven wins, question mark, six wins, gone, with seven wins being the most likely possible case scenario on paper. It's what ESPN's FPI, for whatever the frick you think that's worth, predicts. It's uh, This is a team without a massive range of possibilities, and smack dab in the middle of that is more controversy. I think it, I find it to be rather hilarious, but uh, we should probably stop podcasting at some point we have a policy against podcasts that last longer than an hour and 15 minutes and i think we are almost at mike does the recording show you time now nah, we're at an hour 30 though easy hour 30 all right you know that's not that bad probably like an hour 40 i don't know the people will laugh when they see like hour 50 on their little spotify thing but to the people that are laughing us at, at us right now we appreciate you for listening to the Hokey Hangover podcast. We also appreciate Dr. Jeremy Counts over at Main Street Pharmacy. Jeremy, we did it. 40 under 40. We also did it. I killed almost two hours of your work day with a podcast. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, Mike and Ricky, you got anything else to say to the people at home before we wrap it up for our final non-game week podcast of the year 2021? Year three of Hokey Hangover, by the way. Yeah, uh, rate, review, subscribe. Um, Orioles win. Super lit about it. Uh, Mike, Andrew, whoever edits, uh, go ahead and edit out my foul mouth uh, in the podcast. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching college football. I'm excited about it. Rick, what are you coming to the UNC game? Still, still working on it. it. It's still up in the air. My work schedule over the weekends is a bit crazy. I have nothing to add. Nothing to add. All right. Well, I think I've talked enough. 
folks, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. UNC preview and then midseason we get to go back to our uh, our bread and butter. Two episodes a week. Recap and preview. I'm excited. Keeps me busy. Until then, go Hokies, my friends.